G'day and welcome to the City on a Hill podcast. I'm Guy, Senior Pastor of City on a Hill, a movement of churches across Australia united around the central mission of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Whether you're on your morning commute or sitting down with a warm cup of coffee, I hope this message fuels your faith, hope and love. And while we're here, let me encourage you to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry. You can do that by heading to cityonahill.com.au. God bless. Look forward to connecting soon. This is Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all of your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among, his, among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way through the sea, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. My name is Brenton, like Steph said. I'm a minister here at City on a Hill. Uh, I get to play in lots of fun spaces, alpha, men's, pastoral care. Uh, I'm married to our Bible reader. I don't know where she went, but she's off. Um, and it's great, to, it's great to see you. Do we, do we have in here anyone who's visiting for the tennis? Anyone? All right. Hey, welcome. Welcome to Melbourne. It's great to see you. Thanks for coming along. Thanks for checking us out. Um, well, we're in this series called This Verse Changed My Life, which makes it kind of fun for the preacher because we kind of get to pick a verse that really did have a big impact. You've probably heard preachers say a lot, oh, this is the best verse in the Bible. I can't wait to share this with you. I can say that this verse really, truly changed my life. In fact, I'll go a little bit further. I would say I think this verse 
saved my life. In my late 20s, I was in the grips of a repeated wave of clinical depression. And though I'd been a Christian for around 10 years, I had no answers for what was happening to me. Uh, I couldn't seem to find any comfort. I knew who I was in Jesus, but there was just no joy. And I couldn't see a way out. But one day, as I'm sitting in my counselor's office, he opened up his Bible and he shared with me something that he'd read that morning. And it was Psalm 77. And as we read through it together, I had one of those moments that you sometimes have when you're reading God's word and you feel like he's just speaking directly to you. And so I've meditated on this psalm for lots and lots and lots of years since. And um, I, I hope that as we read it together today, you won't just see it as a psalm for people who are facing depression. Uh, I hope you don't just see it for someone who's in, deep, in a deep, deep, dark time. This psalm actually speaks to a broader experience that all of us at some point in our life will go through. We'll either be facing suffering on our own or we will watch someone that we know and love face it themselves. So whether you're in that space right now, whether you're uh, in the grips of it with somebody that you know, I hope that you'll see and taste and savor God's word today. And I'll be honest, Psalm 77 is a bit of a downer at least in the beginning. But as we mine it, we're going to find some precious jewels in there. So we're going to look at this psalm in three different stages, three ways that we progress through seasons of suffering. The first is being self-focused. The second is going to be historically reflective. And the third is going to be God-exalting. So let's have a look at the first. Let's start with being self-focused. So the writer of this psalm, his name is Asaph, and Asaph's an interesting guy. Asaph was uh, appointed by David to oversee music in the temple for worship, and he had some bangers, all right? Uh, check out some of the lines from some of his other psalms. Psalm 73, verse 14, For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. What a line. Oh God, well, why do you cast us off forever? Psalm 79. How long, O oh Lord, will you be angry forever? I mean, this guy wasn't just praise the name of the Lord our God. He wasn't just writing songs like that. He was writing some of the most honest emotions in his music. And Psalm 77 is one of those. I mean, did you, did you hear that line? I think it was verse 3. When I remember God, I moan. Um, Dave, can we write a song for worship that starts with that line? When I remember my God, I moan. Would you sing that? I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's a bit up in the air. Um, these songs were intended not just for you to sing in your closet with a guitar, tears running down your face. These were songs that we would sing, that Asaph wrote to sing in corporate worship with God's people. And I think what's astonishing about this verse is that it's not just Asaph writing this verse. God is inspiring 
Asaph to put this in the Bible. I mean, God wants us to hear that sometimes when we remember God, we moan. I mean, that's fascinating. I mean, let's, let's have a look at uh, how it starts. So in verse 1, it says, I cry aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord, and in the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. This was sung in the temple. And when we read this, we learn a few things straight away. Even though this is a corporate worship song, Asaph is writing this from the perspective of an individual. Let's call him the sufferer. And first we learn that this is a man who is intent on seeking God, right? In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. And second, he, he is troubled to the point where he will not be comforted. Nothing was bringing him relief. But I think the thing that resonated with me as I was sitting in my counselor's office was that this sufferer is focusing directly on himself. Do you see that? I cry aloud to the Lord. He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. These are just emotions that are coming out from our sufferer. But at the same time, it's all inward focused. And this is a common reaction when we go through suffering, isn't it? It's, it's just a human experience that when we're dealing with something in our life, the first thing we like to think about is how are we feeling? And I think there's two things to say about being self-focused in the midst of suffering. The first is that it's really important. Being able to be honest with yourself, to recognize when you are suffering and what you're suffering with can honestly be the biggest challenge. This can range to, from a whole bunch of things, right? You could be suffering in your marriage, you could be suffering at work, you could be suffering in your relationships, suffering in your faith. I mean, the list can go on and on and on. My journey to, understand, to understanding that I was going through something was actually an overseas phone call to my mum. And I just had to say the words, Mum, I feel like I'm depressed. It was probably one of the hardest moments of my life, and yet it was the beginning of a long road to receiving help. So being self-focused, being honest with yourself, puts you in a place where you're able to share with others what you're going through. And it's also the first step to figuring out how you're going to go through it. But here's a second observation about being self-focused. And that is that being self-focused is also dangerous. My experience with depression felt like this inescapable, irrational obsession with how I was feeling all the time. And this wasn't just weeks, it wasn't just months, it was for over a year, multiple times. And I was constantly feeling low and focusing on that made me feel even more low. And being focused on this can take you to a really dark place. And yet, I love how this is highlighted at the beginning of this psalm. You can tell that Asaph is writing this from his own experience but 
it's like God wants this. He wants this part of the human experience to be on full display in the Scriptures. Or to put it another way, the Bible, actually, God is giving you and I permission to not be okay. But the Bible also says to consider joy, actually to pursue joy in the midst of suffering. God cares that we, that we don't get stuck in the middle of it all. And so this psalm doesn't stop there, and praise God that it doesn't. Let's have a look at the second progression of getting through a season of suffering. Let's look at being historically reflective. So the sufferer in this psalm moves from considering where he is in the present to then looking at what's happened in the past. Let's, let's have a look at uh, verse 5. He says, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. So the sufferer's starting to look for a solution. He's kind of at the first step of looking back on good times. You know, he's kind of going back to that full-on nostalgia phase. You know, taking yourself back to, to times in your childhood where you were fond of things. Um, there were numbers of illustrations I could use to, to put this out there. I can't believe I'm using this one. But has anyone, is anyone familiar with one of these? I'll put it up on the screen. Okay, a lot of us are. All right, I, I had to look this up. This is, I, I had one in my kitchen growing up. It's called a corningware dish, okay? It's, it's a casserole dish. It's basically a ceramic bucket that you put a lid on, right? Now, if you still have one of these, let me tell you, it might be worth keeping. If you were to look up on eBay right now how much these are going for, you'll find they're going from five to 10, up to $20,000. I know, right? For a casserole dish. But why? Why are people willing to pay this much money for one of these things? Part of it is because it takes them back. It takes them back to a time where things were better. It helps us to reminisce, right? And the sufferer in this psalm is doing a similar thing. He's remembering his song in the night. He's meditating on it in his heart. He's thinking back to the good old days in the midst of a dark moment. But as he's considering this, his mind kind of snaps back into the present. Have a look what he, he says in verse 7. He asks some questions. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? I mean, his longing for better days kind of leads him into this place of doubt and despair about what's happening to him right now. He's appealing to God. Are you going to be like this forever? This is an experience I think a lot of us face. Um, some of you might be right in it right now. There might have been a, a time in your life where you, maybe for the first time, experienced the grace of God and it was awesome. And then it happened again and, and you were just reminded of how good God's promises were. 
And then maybe down the track, you experience His grace again. And now, because you've experienced it so many times, you just come to expect it. And then when life hits you and things aren't going so well, we start to get angry. We start to get frustrated. God, why am I not experiencing your grace? Even though the the definition of grace is that it is unexpected, right? We all get there. Now, does that mean that having this doubt and despair is good for us? No. But the fact that it's in this psalm doesn't mean that we should hide, hide these questions before God if you're really feeling them. In verse 10, some of the translators say that the sufferer's response to these doubting questions is this. So I say, I am grieved that the, no- that the right hand of the Most High has changed. The reality is, though, that, that God has not changed. His perception of him has. Our sufferer feels that God has changed, but is it true? No, God does not change. In fact, in Hebrews 13.8, it says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. James 1.17 says every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God is always good. He's always faithful. But when suffering comes, it can twist our our perception of that. Instead of seeing that God is close, we can perceive him as distant. Instead of declaring that he's good, we call him evil. Instead of trusting in his presence, we run and hide. And sometimes suffering has nothing to do with anything that we've done. But once it finds a little home in our mind, it can distort the way that we can see our one true hope. And almost as if he sees this danger ahead, in verse 11 and 12, our sufferer makes this intentional step towards a different kind of remembering. This time, not for the nostalgia. Have a look at verse 11. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. So our sufferer is shifting his focus. Something in him has has made the decision to look back, not at moments in time, but into timely truths. I remember I needed help with this. In fact, I remember a day um, when my wife and I had just gotten married, maybe a year or two into our marriage, and I uh, hadn't got out of bed that morning. I'd stayed in bed for most of the day, and in the afternoon, early afternoon, my wife comes in and she says, hey, I'm, I'm going to the grocery store to get some things and you're coming with me. Now, I protested. I said, no, I'm not feeling that right now. She continued to, to press. I started to come up with all these reasons why, but I could see that in her eyes, she was building up every ounce of bravery to ask me this because she knew that I didn't want to come but she knew it was exactly what I needed. So I relented and I went. Now, when I get in the car with her, what I'm expecting is she's going to like subtly play some worship music in the background or she's going to like 
remind me of a Bible verse you read that morning or something. But I got silence. And we got to the grocery store. We walked around for a little while. We got a few things. And we came home. At the end of it, I felt no better than what I did than when I left. Nothing had changed for me. But later on, I could see exactly what my wife was doing and what happened to me. She was reminding me, and God was reminding me, that he is patient with us. And this is why I'm so glad Steph started us off with a corporate prayer, because this is why church is so important, right? We get to remember these things together. Some of us don't have spouses. Some of us have family that don't live close. Some of our best friends may live interstate. But with the church, we get this moment every Sunday and throughout the week where we get to remember these timely truths about God and who he is together. I mean, you might have a person in your gospel community that you haven't seen because we've been off for this, this summer. Maybe they need just a, a quick text to check in. Hey, how are you doing? Maybe you are that person and you need to be reminded of, of God's grace, but you just can't be bothered. Maybe there's someone you're sitting next to or someone uh, later today that you can go ask for prayer. I mean, this, God's people, God's church, it's, it's his grace to us, even when we aren't able to see it for ourselves. But when you do get up the energy, when you do and when you are able to make that decision to focus on God, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're putting your doubts to the side. Right? It doesn't mean that you should get over how you're feeling before you come to God. It doesn't mean you come into a, a Sunday service and you have to sing a loud song in order to put your attention on God. In fact, the suffer in our psalm is, is showing us the opposite. He's laid out all of his doubts. He's laid out all of his pain. He's laid out all of his suffering. And it's because he has done that, now he is able to get into God's presence. And this takes us to the final part, the final progression that we can go through to get through a season of suffering. And that's by being God-exalting. So how does the sufferer begin to turn his attention to God? Let's have a look at verse 13. His first declaration, which is not of himself, directly to God. He says, your way, O God, is holy. He honestly couldn't have started in a better place. By seeing God as holy, he's making this declaration that God is God and I am not. And in verse 14, he says, you are the God who works, who works wonders. You have made known your might amongst the people. You, with your arm, redeemed your people. See, in the midst of his struggle, he's finding this energy, his attention, uh, to take his attention away from himself. He's trying to remember the works that God has done and that his redeeming arm, his redeeming arm rescues his people. And this can be hard, right? But here's the thing. When we, 
when we're able to turn our attention to God, holding out our doubts, holding out our despairs, what we're met with is not his condemnation. It's actually his redeeming arms of grace. So when you wake up on Sunday morning and you're feeling, you're just not feeling it. Ugh, I don't have to go to church this morning and see all those people. When you make that decision, when you come, you're entering a place where you can be reminded of God's promises, even if you need to sit all the way up the back. When you come home from work and you've had a frustrating day or something's bothering you and you're tempted to do the, you know, the mindless scroll when you walk in the door, if you take the energy to spend a moment on your knees in prayer asking God for help, you put yourself in a place where you can be reminded what God has done for you. When your alarm goes off in the morning and you're tempted to hit that snooze button, all right, this is a bit of, bit of confession, That's, that was me this morning and I had to be here, <laughs> right? When you, when you are able to push back that temptation to hit the snooze button and instead open up that, the Bible app on your phone, getting into God's Word shows you that His never-ending grace is for his people. So to the extent that we can turn our attention toward God in the midst of our suffering, we'll experience his grace. And we may not feel it right away. Emily on our staff actually has this saying. She says, it doesn't have to feel true to be true. And the sufferer in our psalm reminds himself of God's grace in a very creative way. Uh, you, many of you might, might know and have watched the animated film Prince of Egypt, yeah? Um, I love this film for many reasons, right? One of which are the stunning visuals that represents God's might and his power. Um, if you watch throughout the whole movie, the director uses this, these scenes of grandeur, these big backgrounds, and makes the people in those backgrounds incredibly small, uh, but it also depicts the struggle that Israel is going through and how powerless they are to defeat it. It depicts the grandeur of who God is and what he can do to bring his people through it. Now, I don't know how, how biblical, biblically accurate it is. I mean, I don't know how many whales were kind of going through the, the waters around Egypt at that time. But that's beside the point. You see, Asaph chooses to reflect on this story because the story of Israelites' exodus from Egypt reminds him of how good God is. Have a look at verse 16. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. And as he continues this vision, he says something that's, that's actually really distinct about the sufferer's reality. In verse 19, it says, Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You see, God, God's way in dealing with sufferers isn't by skirting around the problem. It's not about trying to get you right and then allowing you to see how good he is. 
God's way is through that suffering with you. And oftentimes, it can feel like God's footprints aren't seen. And our suffering isn't resolved quickly or in the way that we expect. And it's encouraging that the psalm ends this way. Because for those of us who have been through long seasons, and they really, like they haven't ended. And it doesn't look like there's any end in sight. I mean, Steph spoke so eloquently a couple of weeks ago about grief and how grief can be this unexpected interrupter of our lives, which never goes away. So it can feel like, it can feel like sometimes trouble, depression, loneliness, grief, all of these struggles won't seemingly end. But the promise is that God will be there. No matter what or no matter how long, it happens. When I was pointed to this psalm in the counselor's office, it showed me that I was obsessing over how I was feeling. But it also showed me that there's a way to handle that feeling. It's by making a decision to turn your attention towards God, even when you don't feel it. And when I turn that attention to where I'm not focusing on myself, but just focusing on what he's done, it doesn't happen all the time but it puts you in that place of peace. So how do we, how do we get there? Like what can we tangibly look to today that can help us in those times? I mean, the, the Israelites in Egypt are a long way, a long time ago. It's important, but what can we look to now? Well, as a Christian, what we can know to be true what we can know to be physically tangible is Jesus. In Matthew chapter 8, many years after Asaph wrote this psalm, Jesus, who spent most of his ministry with sufferers, was sleeping in the stern of a boat while his disciples were wrestling with the wind and the waves, trying to keep the boat afloat. And in the middle of it, they turn their attention away from the storm and they go to Jesus and say, save us, we are perishing. And Jesus turns to the wind and the waves and he calls them to be still. See, Asaph reflected that God's way was through the sea and his footprints are unseen. But in Jesus, and especially around Christmas time, we remember that God was made flesh that his actual footprints were everywhere. I mean, Jesus is the one who walked on water. He's the one who walked to Samaria to meet with a woman at a well in the heat of a day. Jesus was the one who walked to meet those who were blind and lame and dealing with leprosy. Jesus is the one who said, Come to me, all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus is the one who commands the winds and the waves, and he was willing to endure the waves of our sin and our suffering that we might know that his footprints are right next to ours. We're in the midst of dark times. So this is an invitation to all sufferers, Christian or not. It's this invitation that when you take that opportunity to focus your attention on God, even if it is for the first time, 
even if it's the first time in a long time, you're not promised a resolution to your suffering, but you are promised that you'll be received by the one who controls the winds and the waves. How do we do that? I'm going to ask the band to come up. And I want to give us a couple of ways to respond to that. Because I know in a room this size, some of us are really in the middle of it at the moment. And every week, we ask you, at the end of a service, we say, hey, if anyone needs prayer, come on, come on down. There's going to be people down here who can pray with you. And sometimes we say it so often that it can often just fall on... Um, deaf ears, or sometimes even when I'm up here service leading, it's just a line that you say when you're ending the service. But I want to take a moment to focus on how powerful prayer is. Some of the people that stand down here on every week, in fact, all of them who stand down here every week, they spend some intentional time praying for whoever's going to walk into the door, whoever needs to meet with God. And I wanted to ask some of them, Why do you believe so much in the power of prayer? Let me give you a few of their responses. Barb said this. She said, When my son was six, he split his toe in half in a pool accident. My instant reaction was to go to the ER. He said, his six-year-old, my six-year-old said instead, Mommy, if you pray, I know that God will heal me. In that moment, I knew God would honor my son's faith, so I prayed. I wrapped his toe in bandages, and the next day, when the bandages were removed, his toe was perfect. That day changed my prayer life forever. I knew God wanted me to believe and pray in faith because he is able. Now, just a caveat. (laughs) If If you've got a medical emergency, my recommendation is just not, just let it go and pray, all right? Let's hear that. (laughs) But I don't think that's the point here. The point is that God is able. He's willing to heal. He's willing to walk with you through suffering. Sue said this. She said, I've experienced personally through Scripture and through friends again and again that God responds to our prayers. But I'm also understanding more that while prayer is asking for things, And obviously that's really important. Prayer is more about our relationship with God. Alice said, I believe in the power of prayer because we meet with the living God in the place of prayer. Will we always feel his presence? No. Will we always see direct answers to our prayers? No. But as we draw near to God, we meet with someone who is both powerful and faithful and always keeps his promises. I love that. And for myself, I'll say this. It's not promised that I'll never go through another season of depression again. I'm not promised that my health will stay great forever. In fact, all of the signs would point to say, I probably will go through something again. But what do I know that is promised? I'm promised that when you or I go through the storms of life, God's presence and power is with us wherever we go. So as we go into singing now, I want to ask you to do a couple of things. One is, you may just want to stay in your chair. Maybe you just need to hear the lyrics of these songs to remind you of God's promises.
but you also can make a really important decision today. You can come up the front and receive prayer. You can come up and be reminded by somebody else that the promises of God are true for you. Let me encourage you to consider that and let me pray for you. God, I thank you for each and every individual who has entered this space today. I thank you that they decided when they woke up this morning, whether they were feeling great or whether they were down in the dumps, that they were going to make it here. And so, God, I I pray and ask that as we enter into this time of worship, you would speak directly to those who need to hear you. You'd speak directly through your word that you are here for them in this moment right now. So God, be with us as we meet with you and as you meet with us. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.